In Matthew chapter 4, let me mention, by the way, the title of the sermon is, If You Are the Son of God. If You Are the Son of God. And we're going to read about what is known as the temptation of Jesus. We're going through the Lent period of 40 days. And uh, I guess that the origin of Lent partly has to do with this passage of Scripture where Jesus fasted for 40 days before his confrontation with Satan the devil, where Satan tempted him. So uh, I think it's appropriate that we're studying this portion of scripture right now, but let's begin reading in Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Now it's interesting, when we study this passage, I don't think that this is the only time in Jesus' life that he was tempted by Satan, but this is a specific incident that we draw attention to here. And uh, when we see how Satan tried to tempt Jesus, his temptations are based on things that are important to Satan. It kind of gives us a little bit of insight into Satan's background and kind of where he's coming from in this particular passage. Notice that the first temptation had to do with self-centeredness. Jesus, after having fasted for 40 days, it says he was hungry. As we can imagine, he was very hungry. But the first temptation by Satan had to do with thinking about yourself and fulfilling your personal needs. So he told Jesus, go ahead and turn these stones into bread and you can eat something and, and you'll be satisfied. You won't be hungry anymore. So that is the first type of temptation that Satan gives, and could it be that Satan tends to be rather self-centered? And as we tune into our fallen human nature from time to time, we tend to be self-centered, and we're very concerned about fulfilling our personal needs. Well, Jesus wasn't going to have anything to do with that, because he came to this earth not to fulfill his needs, but to fulfill our needs. He came to be our savior. He came to be our redeemer. So Jesus rejected that temptation. He was not going to focus on himself. He was not going to 
perform miracles, use his supernatural power for his own needs, he was going to use it for the needs of others. Ultimately, his death on the cross, which he came to uh, endure on our behalf. It was all about other people, not about himself. The second temptation that uh, Satan sent his way had to do with drawing attention to himself, throwing himself off a high pinnacle of the temple. And of course, that there would be people present down below when he did this, and they could all see a miracle of how the angels rescued Jesus from this fall from a high point on the temple and saved his life. Well, that would be a sin of pride where Jesus would draw attention to himself and want to demonstrate to everybody who he was and what God was willing to do for him. But Jesus was not about pride. I think Satan is, but Jesus wasn't going to be, and he isn't. So again, he rejected Satan's temptation. He did not come to make a big deal about himself, to draw attention to himself. He came to focus people on the Father to point us to God the Father, not to himself. And the third temptation had to do with putting Satan's will over God's will. He said to Jesus, you know, instead of going through all of this nonsense of dying on the cross, you know, you've come here to become the uh, uh, Messiah and to take over control of the nations of the world, he said, let's, let's go the easy route. All of these nations belong to me. I'll just give them to you. You don't have to go through all of this trouble of suffering and dying, and uh, I'll just give you these things if you worship me. But Jesus would not compromise with Satan and choose an easier road to travel in order to fulfill his purpose as Savior. He realized that he came to suffer and to die, and that was the only way that the salvation of the human race was going to get done. So once again, by seeing these temptations, I think we can see a little bit about Satan's nature. Self-centered, prideful, putting your will over God's will. Jesus came here to demonstrate the exact opposite of what he was tempted to do here. And thanks be to God, he didn't give in. He obeyed God. So he turned out when he went to uh, the cross to be that lamb without blemish. He never sinned in his life. Now, we know that just as Jesus was tempted by Satan, we are tempted by Satan. We kind of follow in his footsteps in this regard. Of course, Jesus set the perfect example for us. Uh, and we look to that example and we try to follow it to the best of our ability. You know, Satan's favorite tactic in our lives as he tempts us is not only to get us to sin, Sometimes I think that that is rather easy for him to do because we're all struggling with putting carnality out of our lives, putting human nature out of our lives and following the lead of the spirit. But Satan's favorite tactic in our lives as he tempts us is not only to get us to sin, but it's to break the hold of God's word over us. He wants to separate us from God's word and from God, from a relationship with God. 
That to him would be an achievement. So notice as he tempted Jesus, he predicated his temptations with the following question. If you are the son of God. Now Jesus knew that he was the son of God. In fact, if you look at your Bible here uh, at the very end of chapter three of uh, Matthew, when Jesus was baptized, notice a voice came from heaven at the time of Jesus' baptism. This is Matthew 3, verse 17. A voice came from heaven and said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So just before this encounter with Satan, God the Father proclaimed who Jesus was. That he was indeed the son of God, the much loved son of God. So why do you think Satan, before he tempted Jesus, started the temptation by asking the question, if you are the Son of God? You know, Satan rarely starts temptations with lies. Instead, he starts with dangerous questions. <laughs> if this is really true, you know, then he goes on to, to reason with you. Remember what he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. God created Adam and Eve and put, placed them in the garden and said, okay, here's how I want you to live. Of all the trees in the garden, you may freely eat except for one tree, the tree of the knowledge of the fruit of good, and, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that one because in the day you eat of it, you will die. So Adam and Eve were okay with that. Not, not a problem. There's plenty of things to eat in this garden. God says, stay away from that one tree. Okay, that's fine. But when Satan approached Adam and Eve in the garden, what did he say? He asked a question. He said, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, that's not exactly what God said, but he started off with a confusing question. And they replied, of course, well, we can eat of all the trees except for the one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan said, well, you know, the reason why he doesn't want you to eat of that tree, because if you do, you're actually going to become like him. So he put doubt in their minds. He twisted God's word. He started with a question to kind of get them reasoning with him. And he finally tempted them to sin and to obey, uh, disobey. And of course, we're living with the consequences of that decision even to our day today. Satan takes what God has declared and casts doubt on it. Satan puts question marks in your life where God has put periods. In other words, God makes a statement about you and then Satan comes around and asks questions or turns it in to a question. And we can find ourselves like Adam and Eve doubting whether God truly has our best interest at heart. I think that's one of the main reasons that how Satan tempts us. And if Satan is able to do that, if he's able to put doubts in our minds as to whether God truly has our best interest at heart, our affection for God can cool and we can find ourselves seeking the comfort that sin can bring instead.
Now, Satan knows scripture very well. He's been around a lot longer than we have been, so he is able to quote scripture. Everything Jesus quotes ultimately goes back to his relationship with the Father. He is the beloved son of the Father, and the way he fights Satan is by reminding himself and reminding Satan who he is, the son of the Father, the beloved son of the Father. So what I'm saying is Satan can use the same tactic on us when he tempts us. Again, it's not just a matter of getting us to sin, but of doubting who we are. Children of God. Turn with me to a couple of uh, passages. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. And when we fight Satan, when he tempts us and tries to confuse us, These are the fundamental passages that we have to fall back on and rely on and remind ourselves who we are. We're children of God through Jesus Christ. And when we believed in Jesus Christ, when we heard the gospel, accepted Jesus as our personal savior, we entered into a father-son relationship or father-daughter relationship with God himself. I like the way John says this here when it talks about Jesus' arrival on the scene when he was born in Bethlehem and what it was going to produce. It says in John 1 verse 12, yet to all who received him, Jesus, all who believed in him and accepted him as their savior, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And that's who we are. Never forget that. And Satan will try to put doubt in your mind about that relationship you have with God the Father. Not only are you children of God, but like Jesus, you're beloved children of God. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Because you believe in him. And he is the Son of God, we are invited into that same relationship. I want to turn one other scripture back in your Bible to 1 John 3, the epistle of John, in the back of your Bible, 1 John 3, beginning in verse 1. 1 John 3, verse 1, it says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Notice he doesn't say that is what we hope to be someday. He says that is what we are right now. That is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he, Jesus, appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So again, the reason why we want to obey God is because we have already been made children of God through Jesus Christ. We're in that relationship of father, son, daughter, whatever applies to you. And we're living in that relationship right now. And we're growing in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
and through him with the Father as well. Satan's goal is not just to get us to sin, but to separate us in that relationship from God, to, to try to get us to doubt who we are in reality as children of God. You know, uh, I think most of us understand, but I'll just take a couple of minutes and kind of review what we know about this being, Satan, Satan the devil. The Bible gives us background information. We don't have all the details by any means, but there was a created angel named Lucifer. God created him long, long ago, as all angels are created beings, spirit beings. And uh, for some reason, Lucifer, whose name meant morning star, rebelled against God or turned against God. And uh, he became Satan, which means adversary, enemy. He separated himself from relationship with God. And it seems that his main goal is to try to get as many of us to do the same thing, to separate ourselves from relationship with God. And this is one of the main ways that he tempts us, is not just to sin, but to separate ourselves from, from God the Father. You know, there are scriptures, I won't take the time to turn there, but Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So Satan, at, or Lucifer at one time, served at God's throne in heaven, and because of his attitude, because of his rebellion, he fell from that position. It also says in Jude, verse 6, it talks about the angels who did not keep their position of authority, but abandoned their own home. These he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. So Lucifer, at the time of his rebellion, it seems that he was able to influence a portion of the angels who had previously worshiped God, he influenced a portion of them to go with him, to leave their appointed authority that they had been given by God. And because of their rebellion, they all turned from God and turned from relationship with God and became adversaries. So you have this force in the world where God is trying to get us to do the right thing and providing the means whereby we can do that, but yet Satan is always lurking in the background, trying to get us to do the wrong thing, and more importantly, trying to separate us from relationship with God. So we, as Christians, have to be on guard all the time. I've always wondered why that happened. We don't know exactly why Satan rebelled. I think it has something to do with his attitude, certainly, and we saw the way he tempted Jesus. He tempted him to be self-centered, maybe because Satan sees that as the way to be. He tempted Jesus to be prideful, and maybe that's the way Satan is. And he tempted Jesus to put his own will above the Father's will, and it seems, we don't know much of the story, but it seems that that's the way Satan is, or did become. Why? I don't know. I, I've thought about it, and this is not in the Bible, but in uh, Hebrews, there is one scripture I'll refer to. 
Hebrews 1, verse 14, it talks about the purpose of angels, why God created them. And it says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? That's us. You know, I've wondered, and again, this is my own thinking on this, and I'll, I'll throw it out for what it's worth. It may hold water and it may be totally wrong. I've always wondered, you know, as God's plan for salvation for the human beings he created came to light and came to be understood, you know, he created angels previously, important, powerful spirit beings. And I wonder as God started to reveal what he was going to do on this earth, how he was going to create a human race and make them out of dirt, basically. Adam and Eve and all of us were made out of the elements of this earth. But someday, even though we sinned and uh, you know, fell far short of, of God, he was going to send his son as our savior. And someday, because of our belief and because of our faith, he was going to change us and make us something really important. Uh, when Jesus returns and we're changed in the blink of an eye from uh, physical to spirit, from human to eternal, uh, I wonder as, as that truth was revealed by God and the angels heard about it, that some of them, especially starting with Satan or Lucifer, had a problem with it. <laughs> And, you know, he asked the question, do you mean to tell me that, you know, even though we've been around, you created us as these magnificent spirit beings, angels, that you're going to raise these people that you made out of dirt to someday be higher than we are? And our job as angels is going to be ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? I think for the most part, the angels applauded that and th thought, praise God, what a wonderful plan. But perhaps Lucifer and the ones he was able to influence had a problem with it. You know, they heard the plan and they thought, well, that kind of stinks. <laughs> Why should we be lowered and have these people that you literally made out of dirt be raised above us? And, you know, Paul told one of the churches in his epistles, he talked about the, the problems that they were having, taking one another to court in church and suing one another. He said, don't you know that someday you're going to judge angels? So maybe some of the angels thinking about that, thinking, wow, that doesn't seem right to me. These people made out of dirt are going to someday judge us. But thankfully, most of the angels did not have a problem with it, and they praised God. But Lucifer had a problem with it, a big problem. And his bad attitude influenced perhaps a third of the angels to follow him in rebellion against God. And instead of being a ministering spirit to those who will inherit salvation, he has become our enemy and our adversary. So we're warned throughout the Bible that we need to be on guard. We need to be prepared to fight. We need to be uh, familiar with God's word, as Jesus certainly was, when he responded to Satan, who was trying to put doubt into his mind. Satan does the same thing to us. Exactly how does he do it? How does he put doubt in our minds? Well, let me share something really personal with you. 
You know, we recently, over the past few months, went through a very difficult tragedy in our family. And just trying to kind of wrap your mind around that when that happens, and again, some, some of you sitting here have lost loved ones, people very dear and dear to you, and you struggled in the same way, so I'm certainly not unique in this. But one of the things that came to my mind, and I think it was Satan trying to inject thoughts into my mind at the time, you know, we had prayed for our son that God would intervene and change him and heal him and uh, kind of set him on the right track, and it, it didn't work out that way. And, uh, you know, the thought came into my mind, you know, John, you have been a Christian all these years, and why is it that God didn't answer your prayer the way you wanted it to be answered? You know, doesn't God owe that to you? I mean, you've been around a long time serving God, what happened? Why was your prayer not answered? Why didn't God see fit to answer your prayer the way you chose to have it answered, the way you preferred to have it answered? And it got to the point that I was thinking, you know what, that's, that's Satan putting thoughts in my mind. He's trying to separate me from relationship with God by putting doubts in my mind as to who I am. And, you know, as a son of God, uh, and I came to realize that as Jesus said, knowing scripture as we all should, that this journey as a Christian is not gonna be a cakewalk. And as we read the scripture a couple of weeks ago, Jesus said, if you wanna be my disciple, you pick up your cross and follow me. And he told us in advance that, you know, there's gonna be difficulties, even though you're a son of God. Even though you've been in the church for so many years and you've devoted your life to God and, and struggled and tried to obey him and do the right thing, nonetheless, there's going to be difficulties in this life. And that has nothing to do with your relationship with God. God is still with you. God is still uh, supporting you and strengthening you on a daily basis just as he did with Jesus. You know, when Jesus came down to this earth, it wasn't a cakewalk for him, even though he was the literal only begotten son of God. And Jesus taught us the lesson, just as he was going to have to pick up his cross and follow, you know, God's will, so we are going to have to as well. And it's not gonna be easy, but he's gonna be there kind of behind the scenes to support us and strengthen us and help us do the right thing. So I came to realize, man, that is a temptation from Satan. You know, another thing Satan can put into our minds, we know that we all still struggle with sin from time to time. And Satan asks the question, wait a minute, you are a son or a daughter of God. Why is it that you still sin? <laughs> Trying to put doubt in your mind, you know. Is it right for a son or daughter of God to sin from time to time? Well, reality is, yes, it does happen. And as we saw in the sermon the other week where we talked about the woman who is taken in adultery, uh, the witnesses brought her in and brought her before Jesus Christ and said, this woman was taken in adultery. Do you say that we should stone her to death? And we talked about how Jesus stood there with the woman in the face of all of her accusers. And he did what he needed to do to cause them not to stone her to death. 
because he set up the prerequisite, okay, you can stone her to death, but let him who is, out, is without sin cast the stones. And thankfully, they all realized that they were all sinners. They were all convicted in their hearts that they were all sinners, so they all just walked away. And Jesus finally said to the woman, neither do I judge you. Go and sin no more. So yeah, we are sons and daughters of God, but we still sin, but we know that we have Jesus as our high priest who stands there with us in the face of our accusers, in the face of our shame, in the face of our sinfulness, and proclaims us not guilty. It's not that we didn't do the sin, we did it, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, it is not held against us. And the scripture says, who can bring an accusation against the children of God? No one can. Because we have Jesus Christ's blood sprinkled on us, demonstrating his forgiveness and our salvation. So, like I said, Satan's goal is not just to tempt us to sin, but he works on our mind and our heart to try to separate us from our relationship with God. He tries to convince us that we're hypocrites, or he tries to somehow to convince us that uh, you know, we should focus more on pride, we should focus more on ourselves, and we should seek our will rather than we should seek God's will. He's very cunning. He's very cunning, and he knows scripture well. So we're warned to be on guard. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. You know, sometimes when Satan tries to put doubt in your mind, like I said, you need to fall back on the truth that you know and remind yourself, I am indeed a child of God. I have God's promise on that. God put a period on that rather than a question mark. So that is a scripture and that is a truth that I can count on. I like the way Paul says this here in Romans 8 and verse 14. He says, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him, that is Jesus Christ, because of Jesus Christ, because of his death on the cross for our sins, because we claim him as our Savior, we have this relationship with the Father just as he did. It says, and by him we cry, Abba, which is the very personal name for Father. The name that Jesus Christ himself used. It's an Aramaic term, but Aramaic was used uh, very frequently in Jesus' time in that part of the world. And just as Jesus in his innermost prayers to the Father, in his most personal prayers to the Father, he used the word, Abba, which we would say dad or daddy. We have been given permission to use that same term when we pray to the Father because we are in that close relationship with him, personal relationship, which we owe to Jesus Christ. If it wasn't for Jesus, we could never have that relationship with the Father. But Jesus opened the door for us. And we have the same relationship that he has with the Father. The Father loves us with the same love that he loves his son Jesus with. 
By him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So don't let anybody convince you otherwise. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, notice, in order that we may also share in his glory. So part of the reason that we're here and walking this walk as Christians throughout the rest of our lives, we're looking forward to that ultimate reward that we're, we have been promised. It's not a question mark, it's a period. We're co-heirs with Jesus Christ at the appropriate time when he returns and receives the entire kingdom and rulership over the whole world, we're going to be included. Do we deserve it? Of course not. But through God's grace, we are going to be co-heirs with Christ. But notice he puts in parentheses there, if indeed we share in his sufferings. So when we share in sufferings in this life, it's not proving that we're not children of God, as Satan would like to get you to think. It proves that we are children of God because we're following in the same footsteps of Jesus Christ himself. He suffered in his life in, in this world, and we're going to suffer too. We pray that the suffering isn't going to be that great or overwhelming, but God promises that it won't be. He'll give us the strength and the power we need to get through it. Finally, let's turn to Ephesians 6 and verse 10. It talks about how we have to wear a certain type of armor when dealing with Satan. Because his temptations, his questions, his doubts can come into our minds at any time. Usually when we're weakest, that's when he likes to attack. But we're reminded here by the Apostle Paul as he talks to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 6 verse 10, finally, be strong, not of your own power. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. You don't have the power to fight Satan by yourself, but it's only through Jesus that you do. So he tells us in verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And we saw that there are, unfortunately, these powers in existence. They weren't that way originally, but by allowing himself to, be, to get into a bad attitude, to become rebellious against God, he continues in this fallen attitude, and when you think about fallen human nature, it's Satan's nature. This world, for all intents and purposes, is led by a fallen human nature, which is Satan's nature, a nature of selfishness, a, na a nature of pride, all of those things. So in verse 13, he says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, and it will come, you will be tempted from time to time, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. So stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Have a knowledge of God's word. You gotta be studying it on a regular basis. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. 
Why are we righteous? Not because of our good deeds. We're righteous because the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been credited to us. We still struggle with sin and, and mess up from time to time, even though we're sons and daughters of God. Verse 15, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So it's all about the gospel. The reason we're here on this earth has to do with God's plan for this human race. And we're so privileged to be a part of his church right now in this age. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So when doubt hits, it's like Satan firing a flaming arrow at, at your butt. <laughs> and you gotta have the shield of faith to block those arrows. And that's what faith does. I'm not gonna believe Satan. I have my trust in God. He has told me that I am his beloved son. And even though I mess up from time to time, I never lose that relationship. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. So, you know what, when we struggle through difficult times in our life, Satan is there to try to attack us when we're weakest. But thanks be to God that he is there to provide the faith that we need at time of need. But nevertheless, we always have to be on guard. Never let your, uh, your uh, defenses down because Satan will strive to the very end to separate you and your relationship with God. That is his goal. Uh, he doesn't want us judging him at some time in the future, although scripture says that we will. Uh, he would like to remove us from the scene, each and, one, each and every one of us individually, one by one. But we can't let him do that. We need to fall back on the promises God has made us, and we need to live in the reality of who we are beloved sons and daughters of God. And we owe it all to Jesus for bringing us into that relationship. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for enlightening us, inspiring us today, that we can be reminded who we are through Jesus Christ. And never let Satan confuse us or dissuade us of that truth and that reality. And Father, we know that you'll never let go of us. Help us to never let go of you. There are tremendous promises that you've made for us in the future. We're not in appreciating or experiencing all of those things right now. There are blessings of being a Christian and being a part of your church, but the ultimate reward still awaits us in the future. When your son Jesus Christ returns with the, the trumpet sound and uh, on that fateful day, that great day of the Lord, we will inherit, along with Jesus Christ, so many things that our minds can't even perceive or understand right now. But we rely on your promises. We count on them. We know that they are sure. So defend us and help us to do our part to put on the armor of God himself and to be prepared so when those temptations come, we'll be able to withstand them just like Jesus did. So, Father, thank you so much for our calling, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, and for salvation based on your grace. We love you, Father, and we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.